Bibles to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to conclude the first section or second section of chapter 1 uh, this morning. I'm going to begin reading with verse 3. Our text for this morning's sermon will be verses 10, 11, and 12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, although it is tested by fire, it may be found to result in praise and honor, praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, how we thank you this day, O Lord God, that you have called us, Lord, to walk with you, to walk in the light. And Lord, you have not left us without light. You have not left us with any doubts, O Lord, but you give us a true and sure and certain way in this word that you have given to us. Lord, I pray that as we look through it this morning, that as I speak upon it and preach O Lord God, that the words would not be my own, but your words. O Lord, we pray that it would be profitable to all of our hearing and glorifying to Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Peter continues here, and he explains a little bit about the background, about how how this salvation has been predicted from ages before. He says, concerning this salvation, that which we just read about in verses uh, 3 through 9. And he said, it's such a glorious thing. It's such a glorious thing that of all the glorious things that the angels see in heaven and in all of God's creation, things that we don't even know about, but we know it's glorious. Of all the things that they see and experience, Peter says, it's not as good as what we have. They don't get to, they don't need salvation. They don't need Christ. They don't need the cross in the sense that we did because of our sin. But 
the wonders of God's glory, his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, his restoration are things that Peter says they long to look to. And so as we go through this passage of scripture today, keep that in mind about how the Lord has blessed us, his people. We are the ones who are made in his image. We are the ones who, if we are in Christ, we are his offspring. And so concerning this salvation, uh, so Peter here is the encourager, as we just reviewed those few verses. He's the exhorter. He's the apostle of hope, as he's often described. Uh, as an introduction on this series in First Peter, we looked at the life of Peter as recorded in the four Gospels. Uh, the first sermon, the second sermon was about the life of Peter as regarded as recorded in the book of Acts. And we see many things, many things there in the life of Peter. We see the ups and downs. We see the fairies. We see the, the glorious revelation that he had when he said, you are the Christ, you are God's Christ. And then moments later, he's trying to stop Jesus from accomplishing his mission. You know, he's the one who says, Lord, even if all these other guys leave you, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to die with you. And then he denies the Lord three times. And then Jesus brings him on that beautiful beach scene where he's cooked breakfast for them. And he asks Peter three times, do you love me? And Peter, I'm sure, was, was downcast. He was hurt. But he says, Lord, you know, you know that I really do. I do love you. And the Lord gave him the commands to feed his sheep, feed his, you know, uh, bring them uh, and continue in the ministry, you know, that I have given to you, Peter. So Peter is, uh, has experienced the lows and the highs. He's experienced the lows of having failed miserably before the Lord. And then as we begin in the book of Acts, Peter is threatened, he is beaten, he is imprisoned by the Jews. He knows suffering. He knows unjust treatment. But he experiences the undeserved favor of God, the grace all along. And even later in life, we see that Peter was not perfect. He is rebuked by Paul for uh, being hypocritical when certain Judaizers were visiting the church in Antioch. And, but apparently he repents and he continues on and God uses him you know, for a lifelong ministry up into the, you know, probably the mid-60s uh, A.D. And he writes these letters late in life. He writes these letters late in life to those who are suffering persecution, those who are suffering want and need. He is indeed the encourager and the apostle of hope. And so as he makes his case before them to encourage them, he wants to show them that it's not, just from the New Testament, it's not just from the time of Jesus that the truth of God has been declared, that the things about Christ have been declared from of old and as an assurance, and as we can have an assurance as we look into the prophets and what they have said, you know, it gives us an assurance that hundreds of years before, things that have been written clearly were clearly fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ. Keith Matheson in, uh, on the Ligonier website in some articles calling Understanding the Prophets says that the prophets were spokesmen. They were seers of oracles. 
They were men of God. And those titles together define the prophet as a man who has been called to communicate the revealed word of God. He is a man who has intimate relationships with God. And he is God's servant and messenger. And it is the task of the prophet to watch over God's people. So Moses was a prophet. He was more than that, but he was a prophet. And Samuel, he was the last of the judges, but began the time of the prophets. Samuel was both a judge and prophet before King Saul and his descendants began to rule. Samuel did his work as a prophet. Now the classical prophets, which are what we call the writing prophets, those works extend from the late 700s up until around the uh, late 400s uh, B.C., close to like 430 uh, before Christ, uh, before the Babylonian exile, although Malachi was written after the people had become had begun to come back. But the major prophets are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. The minor prophets are Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Now there were other prophets that you read about as well. You know, the prophet Elijah and Elisha, you know, whose works are recorded, and were, but they did not write uh, any of the uh, books or writings in the Old Testament canon. You had Micaiah. Of course, we all are very familiar with Nathan, the prophet who confronted David during his time, and as well as Gad that confronted David and prophesied for David uh, in his time. So most of those writings contain warnings of impending judgment for Israel, God's people having broken covenantal vows, just as Joshua predicted that they would do. But he called God's people to repentance. They were the, there were the promises of God's blessings, covenant restoration that we read about. When, when the prophets gave these warnings, they also gave God's promises for restoration, for God's grace, for his mercy to be poured out. And some of those things were fulfilled in the near future, and some of the things were written for our sake to be fulfilled in the last times. So... It is one of the most distinctive features um, that uh, Matheson continues to write of the prophets that the promise of future salvation and it is this perhaps more than anything else that serves to bind the Old Testament unbreakably with the new in a single canon of scripture. According to the prophets, the coming Messiah will establish God's kingdom transforming creation, bringing blessing to all the nations, thereby fulfilling the purpose of God's covenant with Abraham. And of course, what was God's covenant with Abraham? In Genesis 12, he says, Abraham, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Psalm 72 says, may people be blessed in him and may all the nations call him blessed. The apostle Peter draws from these Old Testament truths, just as Abraham was justified by God's grace through his faith, he promised that all the nations, all the peoples, not just the Jewish people, would be blessed in Abraham. And he writes about that in Romans chapter 4. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness 
But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So let me transition a little bit right now. So how did the disciples, and when we see that in the New Testament canon, that the Old Testament is quoted over 200 times, over 200 times the Old Testament is quoted. John, the apostle, wrote at the end of his gospel that Jesus did many things during the three, three and a half years that he was with them uh, that he did not record. He said because all the books in the world couldn't contain all that Jesus had done. But think about this. Think about this. Over 200 Old Testament quotes. Uh, You know, to read the Gospels and the book of Acts takes about... uh, 10 hours. If you spend 20 minutes a day, you can read all five books in a month. So Peter and the disciples were trained for about the time that it takes to get an MBA, a master's in business administration. Carl can tell us about that, how intense that is. But, uh, you know, or, or you can compare other things that you do in training and stuff. Jesus was with the disciples all the time during that time and not all of it is recorded for us only about well I don't know how long the book of Acts is but if you put gospels with Acts together it's 10 hours so the gospels would probably be 7 to 8 hours for them remember Jesus said to his disciples these things I have spoken to you while I'm with you when he's comforting his disciples after the last supper saying I'm going but Don't be afraid, don't worry, because I will send the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And in John 5, 39, when Jesus is debating with uh, the religious people of the day, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And here's what Peter is talking about in this chapter in this uh, section verses 10 through 12 it is the scriptures that bear witness about me it is the scriptures that bear witness about me the very first prophecy of our savior the savior to come was given by whom it was given by God himself Genesis 3 and then throughout the Old Testament you have what some call that scarlet thread of salvation, all the promises that God and that that gave to us. And Paul says those promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Remember, he told Eve that, told that Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. Furthermore, Jesus continues after he, after the resurrection on the road to Emmaus, Emmaus, 
which uh, most of us are familiar with. But as he's talking with them, as these disciples are telling this stranger who is Jesus how despondent and, and down that they are because of things that had happened, it says Jesus rebukes them and says, Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus appears to the disciples later in Luke 24, later in that chapter. These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Thus, it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Three powerful words, it is written, that were fulfilled in the life of Christ. So Peter, Peter goes on to explain the divine inspiration and prophecy. And he does that both in 1 Peter and in 2 Peter. I just want to quote here something from uh, Dr. Edmund Clowney. <clears throat> he says, Jesus is therefore not simply the one of whom the prophets speak. He is the one who speaks through the prophets. The prophets spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And that spirit of God who inspired them is the spirit of Christ. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Not only does prophecy bear witness to Jesus, but Jesus bears witness through the prophecy. That's what Peter is saying here. The incarnate Lord is the true witness. The eternal Logos is the source of prophetic testimony. And Clowney continues, The spirit that was fire in the bones of the prophets was the spirit of Christ who was driving them forward to the salvation that he must bring. As Amos 3.8 says, The lion has roared, who will not fear? The sovereign Lord has spoken, who can but prophesy? The lion of the tribe of Judah who opens the seals of the book of God's decrees and revelation is the lion who thunders in the voice of the prophets. I've listened to recordings of Clowney preaching and uh, I didn't hear that particular part, but uh, if you get a chance, look him up. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 21. Christ's glory and the, prophet, the prophetic word. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths, Peter is saying. He's He's giving a defense of the gospel that he has presented. And again, he's going to appeal to prophecy. He's going to appeal to prophecy. And he says, we have the prophetic word more, more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. This is in verse 19 of Second Peter 1. Knowing this, first of all, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man 
but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, if you watch TV today, especially uh, since Israel has gone to war, you know, most of the most of the emphasis on prophecy is trying to figure out all the last time. Then you can waste a lot of time uh, with that. We know that that Jesus is coming back at some point, and He told us plainly, "We don't know when it's going to happen," but He taught us in the parables, you know, of the virgins with the lamps. You know, if you want to be ready, if you want to know then keep that lamp full of oil. Keep yourself in the word of God and don't worry so much about when he'll come back. But I'm running down a rabbit trail. So, but focus on these prophecies that give us assurance about Christ. And there are, there are books, uh, you know, that you can find on Westminster Books website or Reformation Heritage Books. And uh, those books speak about so many of the dozens of prophecies that are fulfilled in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the prophecies are there for us. Prophecies give us an assurance. They show that those things that were written hundreds of years ago, that God has put those there for our purpose. And Jesus said, Jesus is the one who went through all those books. He taught the disciples and those disciples, apostles, the writers of the New Testament remembered those things that Jesus taught them in those three and a half years, and even those things that he made more clear to them after his resurrection. So what is all of that? That is good news for us. It is good news for us. So verse 12, it says, It was revealed to them, the prophets, that they were serving not themselves, but you. They were serving us in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ that inspired the prophets, sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. So in the last few weeks, you know, in, in the lighting of the Advent candles, there were readings mostly from Isaiah, you know, predicting the coming and of the Messiah, his birth, and, uh, you know, that he was going to be wonderful, and counselor and mighty God and, and all of these things. Uh, so we look to those prophecies. We look to those prophecies to give us assurance and information about the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks looking at all the prophecies, but I wanted to focus today on Isaiah 53, which is why it's, it's a long passage. That's why I had us read it as our uh, responsive uh, reading uh, this morning. And actually, uh, the verses that have to do with that chapter start in chapter 52, verses 13 through 15. Jesus, when he was confronting the unbelieving Jews, he says, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. You know, even though he had done so many signs, even though he had fulfilled so many prophecies, they still, not, they still did not believe in him. And John writes that in chapter 12 of the Gospel of John. He quotes Isaiah 53.1. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And therefore they could not believe. And again, John quotes Isaiah chapter 40, 
when he says, God has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. So Isaiah said these things. Isaiah said these things. This is John's writing here. Uh, John says, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. He saw his glory, Christ's glory, and spoke of him. Well, how did John know that? Jesus taught him. Jesus taught him. Let's continue on. Isaiah 52. Verses 13 to 15. He was pierced for our transgressions. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. And listen to this. So shall he sprinkle many nations sounds like genesis 12 and romans 4 the sprinkling of blood is is the washing away of our sins so shall he sprinkle many nations kings shall shut their mouths because of him for that which has not been told them they see that's quoted in romans 15 and 16 and that which they have not heard They understand the gospel is coming to the Gentiles. If you look at Isaiah 53, let me encourage you to turn to Isaiah 53. I'm not going to read it again. I'm just going to point out a few things. Uh, If you're using a pew Bible, it's again on page 613. Again, John cites that first verse in chapter 12. Paul cites it in Romans 10, 16 about unbelief. Who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? As we go down, we see the description of Jesus as growing up, not in a king's palace, not in glory, not, not known really to anyone other than his parents and the close circles in which he walked. He had no form, no majesty that we should look at him, no beauty. He was not this charismatic, you know, TV personality. He was not handsome, evidently. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Just imagine, it's hard enough when you are rejected by people in the workplace and neighborhoods and your circles, but how much more painful is it when your own family rejects you as his family did at one point during his ministry he was one from whom men hide their faces he was despised and we esteemed him not read the gospel accounts he bore our griefs carried our sorrows he was stricken he was afflicted romans 4 25 echoes this that he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities Romans 5 says we have peace with God how did we get that through the chastisement that Jesus took for us 
by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. First Peter chapter 2 verses 24 and 25. Peter quotes uh, Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. The Lord, the Lord had mercy upon all of us. Can you think back to the time maybe some of you grew up and there was always a time when you knew Christ. But for many of us, there was a time when we know we did not know Christ. And we were like the sheep who had gone astray. We had turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord laid on him our iniquities. The Lord laid our sins, the penalty for our sins, on Jesus, the Christ, the one who had been promised from ages to come. In fact, all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He was oppressed, afflicted, he was silent, he opened not his mouth, he was oppressed, he was judged, misjudged, he was cut off from the land of the living, he was stricken for the transgression of his own people. But when he first read the scriptures that's recorded, in the synagogue, he read from the book of Isaiah, saying that he was the one who had come to bring salvation to the world. But they made his grave with the wicked. He was crucified between thieves with a rich man. He was buried in his death, Joseph of Arimathea's grave. He had done no violence, no deceit in his mouth. But think about this. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. That's what the angels long to understand. It was the will of God to crush him, to put him to grief, to make his soul an offering for our guilt. Oh, may it be that we never forget that every day of our lives. Out of the anguish of his soul, we, God, shall see and be satisfied. It was Jesus who cried on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me so that those who trust in him will not have to say that? We have the assurance that he does not forsake us. He has accounted us righteous. He has borne our iniquities. What is the promise of the resurrection? We see that Peter said that the prophecies foretold the suffering of the Christ, but also the subsequent glories. Isaiah 53, 12 says, I will divide, will divide him a portion with the many. I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. That couldn't happen if Jesus stayed in the grave. He would not be alive to receive that portion, but that is one of the scriptures that speaks about the resurrection of Christ. It doesn't say it plainly in those words, but it implies it, that he will be there and we will be his inheritance because he poured out his soul to death. And the final, the final statement in Isaiah 53 says that he yet makes intercession for the transgressors. He yet makes intercession for us. What a glorious gospel. Why why Peter uses those words concerning this salvation. And he gives such depth and richness and the foundation.
for the gospel of Jesus Christ so that people know that it's not the apostles just making up things, that it didn't just, it didn't just instantly happen. You know, Isaiah in uh, back, I, I don't know when all this idea got started, but those who were, who were deemed the liberal, critical scholars of the Bible who, you know, said, you know, there were some people who were saying Isaiah 53 could not have been written by Isaiah over 700 years before Christ. And they put forth this, this uh, hypothesis that it was after the time of Jesus that somebody wrote Isaiah 53 and put it in there to make it look like a prophecy. But, uh, you know, amongst other things, God knows how to take care of his word. Secondly, the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were written way before the time of Christ, had intact copies of Isaiah with Isaiah 53 plainly there. So if you need any extra evidence, it's there. So the glories of Christ, the subsequent glories, resurrection, the ascension. You can read in the Gospels about the ascension of Christ in the heaven and that he will come again one day for us. Uh, Isaiah, Psalm 16:10. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Psalm 34, 20. He keeps all of his bones, not one of them broken. Hosea 6, 2. After two days he will revive us and on the third day he will raise us up that we may live before him, which was foreshadowing Christ. And uh, Paul again writes in 1 Corinthians 15 where he talks about if Christ is not raised from the dead then we are uh, most to be pitied because we have no hope. But he says there according to the scriptures it happened. Jesus. Jesus. What are the three offices of Jesus? Wednesday night class? What did we just what did Frank just go over with us? Prophet, prophet, Jesus was a prophet and a priest and the king. And so what did he prophesy? He said, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The very Christ speaking this prophecy. He also told them in John chapter two, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The brothers and sisters, the prophets saw, saw the bud, not the flower, of this gospel of salvation, as Pastor Tim Cantrell notes. But God has given to us to see the flower. He's given it to us to see the fullness of the beauty of the gospels. Considering how much Jesus taught the disciples about the gospel from the Old Testament, Think about these things, how Timothy was trained in the scriptures, how the apostles appointed deacons so that in the book of Acts, so they, they could devote themselves to prayer and to what? The scriptures. What scriptures were they devoting themselves to? They only had the Old Testament at that time. So they were devoting themselves to prayer and the scriptures so that they could preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember the Bereans. Paul commends the Bereans of Macedonia because they were noble and searched the scriptures to see if what Paul had said was true. They were eager to know whether it was so. So brothers and sisters, when, when Liz and I first began coming here in the early 
1980s, mid-1980s, we had some Old Testament knowledge. Some of it was good, but some of it was quite distorted, uh, to be honest. Uh, We did not realize how much the gospel of God's grace extends from Genesis to Revelation. And we, you know, I think about all those years and how blessed we are to be trained and taught the whole counsel of God. And we have much to learn and we have still many days, we hope, to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and Hopefully, we will not be proud and we will not be arrogant, but submit ourselves to the teaching of the Lord. From Cain and Abel, it has always been about our inability to be righteous before God. And therefore, we are under the penalty of damnation unto eternal death and anguish. It has always been about God's undeserved and unmerited and unearned grace and mercy by which he calls us to be born again by the Holy Spirit, just as Abraham was justified by faith in God's promise. We are justified and saved by grace through faith in Christ. It's not our own attempts to earn God's pleasure, and we must continually remind ourselves and believe the promises of God and to continue steadfast as we do privately and as we do publicly here each Sunday, confessing our sins, receiving God's gracious pardon by faith, and to stir ourselves up to rely on the promises of God in order to further our sanctification until that final day when we shall either be resurrected or we shall meet him in the air. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your word and thank you for your promises. Lord, we pray, Lord God, that you would strengthen us for so often we read and and we forget, we easily forget. Lord, remind us, let our hearts be one with yours. Teach us by the word and the Holy Spirit. Help us to encourage one another in the church, oh Lord God. Till the coming of Christ, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.